We're going to be taking a look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. If we open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to take a look at Hannah and try to use her righteousness as an example. Our... um, Our method today, what we'll be doing today is we're going to take a look at these five things. We're going to first take a look at the method of study. This is a biblical narrative we'll be looking at. Biblical narrative. Narrative is a large portion of scripture. Biblical narrative. It's very important for us to understand um, how to examine and observe scripture and grab its nuggets. And then we're going to uh, take a look at the setting behind First um, Samuel, which is uh, the decline of the nation of Israel in the book of Judges, mostly. And then we'll take a look at this, uh, each verse um, in the first chapter. Uh, we'll start with Hannah's home life. And then we'll take a look at her spiritual life. And we'll make some conclusions and applications. Okay, our method of study here is, is in biblical narrative, we're going to determine the setting. It's important for us to um, better understand the events that are happening, and those events, you know, they happen somewhere. And then we're going to try to develop a character. We're going to get to know who Hannah is and the other characters, and, and once we do that, we'll be able to make conclusions and application to what we're learning. All right, first of all, um, when we learn about biblical narrative, one of the first things we learn is how to recognize what is setting. What is setting? And, you know, this famous writer, Elizabeth Bowen, famously said about the role of place in literature is nothing can happen nowhere, right? Nothing can happen, well, take that positively, everything happens somewhere, right? So we need to better understand what happened. We need to know where it happened and, you know, during what context and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a simple procedure that um, that's easy to apply. We're going to pay close attention to every detail uh, of setting that a storyteller puts into a story. And we're going to decide how that detail um, contributes to the story. And character development. We're going to try to get to know the characters so that we can um, make good decisions on the reason why the Lord put that character in Scripture. Because the words in Scripture um, that the, uh, the Lord put in Scripture for us is put there for a reason. And the Lord wants to tell us something. So if the Lord wants to tell us something, what does he want to tell us? And sometimes it's difficult for us to fully understand exactly the meaning, but we try to do our best. And um, if we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to, our next section is we're going to look at the decline of the nation of Israel. What was the setting in 1 Samuel chapter 1? The setting is a very dire um, setting, and 
In order to take the setting of 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to go back two more books, not to the book of Ruth, but to the book of Judges. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel continue the history of Israel from the point where Judges leaves off. And we're going to take a look at Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 19 in a minute. But the last verse of Judges sums up the spiritual life of Israel at that time. The last verse of Judges. Everyone should know what the last verse of Judges says, right? Last verse of Judges says that they did evil. And this, you know, they did what was right in their own eyes, right? And they just continually, the book of Judges um, comes after the book of Joshua, which is the, the generation that went into the promised land and it was probably the most righteous and, um, generation, but they fell um, enormously. They, they fell and continuously fell, and we're going to take a look at Judges chapter 2, verse 11 through 19. I'm going to have a turn there myself. Judges chapter 2. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he gave them into the hands of the plunderers and plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of the enemies around them so that they could do no longer stand before their enemies. Whatever they, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken as the, and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed, then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they turned that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers. In following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. See, this was a cycle throughout the book of Judges. First they served the Lord. Okay? And then they sinned. And then adultery, right? And then God disciplined them. They became slaves to the nations around them. And then because they were oppressed, they cried out to the Lord. And then a judge was raised up and delivered Israel out of this slavery. And then they began to serve the Lord again. And then the book of Judges continues in this cycle. And this cycle just continues and continues through the, through the book of Judges. It's really a, um, a sobering uh, book to read through. Um, if we take a look at 
the book of Judges as a whole, turn to, um, let me read this slide. Without exception, the historian who wrote the book of Judges here introduces each major judge, and he says, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, or the words to that effect. And this, if we turn to uh, chapter 3, verse 7, what does that say? Chapter 3, verse 7, in Judges says, And the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals in Ashtaroth. And then this was the judge Othanol. And then if we you know, read in verse 12, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And again, if we go into chapter 4, verse 1, then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And this cycle continues. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And chapter 10, verse 6. This cycle just continues. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve them. And the last one I have here is chapter 13, verse 1, is now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. So I hope we all get the setting of what's going to happen here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, what's 1 Samuel all about? I really like the Open Bible um, by Thomas Nelson. It gives an introduction of each book, and it gives one word of a description for each book. And 1 Samuel is all about transition, okay? Because we have the setting of this constant cycle of idolatry in, right before then, and the Lord um, starts to make a change, right? Um, if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, we learn that you know, Adam and Eve sinned, and then... The Lord promised that he would um, provide a savior for that um, sin. And um, how does he do that? The means by which he does that is through, um, through, through David. So he needs to be able to um, introduce David. So Samuel is the, is the book that David is introduced. He, um, the, the judge Eli, um, the transition goes through three stages. It goes from Eli to Samuel, from Samuel to Saul, and to Saul to David. So it's very important. And um, in between Judges and 1 Samuel, you have the book of Ruth. And um, Judges is like a, a, a dry wasteland, um, and the book of Ruth is like a, a spring shower. It's a refreshing, you know, story. Um, in the midst of all of this wasteland, an encouraging book to read. So if we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, what is Hannah's 
um, home life about. If we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 again. And I'm going to, t- I'm going to read um, a couple of verses here. It's 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramoth, Zaphim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkaniah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hananiah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and the priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkaniah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hananiah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Let's stop there. Um, I'd like to make some observations first. Um, I grabbed this quote from Victor Hamilton from the Handbook on Historical Books. He mentioned that um, Hannah's husband, Elkaniah, was an unimportant Ephraimite. Well, he was the father of, of Samuel. Samuel was a priest. And you can't be a priest in that time unless you were uh, from the tribe of Levi. So they were from the tribe of Levi, but they lived in um, Ephraim. And here is a, um, a map. I hope it might be too small to read some of it. But um, uh, where's my... I can't find my thing here. Um, Ephraim is right here. And they lived close by to uh, uh, about 12 miles north of Jerusalem, which is in the, um, in the tribe of Benjamin. Here it is. I found it. And um, so they lived right about here somewhere. And my next slide gives a little bit of, um, of location. You know, Samuel's parents lived near Ramathium, Zophim, it literally means two heights or two hills. Elsewhere in verse uh, 19 here, it's called Ramah. This town is in Ephraim in central Canaan, about five miles north of Jerusalem. Perhaps the city stood on one of the two hills with the other place of worship on the other side. And, And he had... Ephraim, Elkaniah had two wives, right? Penaniah had children, and Hannah was barren. You know, oftentimes um, in those days, although it wasn't sanctioned by God, uh, a man whose wife was infertile would take a second wife by whom he could bear children. And in Genesis chapter 12, uh, an example of Abraham and Sarai, you know, in Genesis 30, you have Jacob and Rachel and, uh, and also Leah. So the, um, it's uh, not sanctioned by God, but it seems like it's common. And it also seems like the Lord is using um, hardships, you know, using the fact that um, 
you know, certain women are barren. He challenges them. Um, and then eventually, you know, if they're righteous, they, they, uh, the Lord uses them. So we'll see that here in Hannah. And also, Elkaniah loved Hannah, you know, and gave her a double portion. You know, it's when uh, we see here, um, did, I, did I read that part? Um, yeah, in verse 4. And when the day came, Elkaniah sacrificed, he would give portions to uh, Penaniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. So what do you expect from an observation point of view, what would you expect would happen if you favor one person over the other? Especially if you have two, if you have two wives, that's a that's a problem to begin with, right? You're gonna have jealousy and and uh, but if you're not only you're you not only have two wives, but you're favoring one over the other, so uh, you can imagine that uh, uh, very difficult circumstances. And, you know, Penaniah actually is, um, verse 6, her rival, right? It's actually uh, mentions here in Scripture that Penaniah was Hannah's rival. She was jealous and therefore provoked her, you know, and Verse 7 is, and it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. It's, in, you know, the specifics that scripture gives us that Hannah, when she was oppressed, she did not eat. You know, that's interesting. That's a, it's a fact that we should put in the back of our heads, and it's like a nugget that we should um, pay attention to. We're going to take a look at that in a bit. I hope I'm not going too fast. And we're going to take a look at Hannah's spiritual life. What was Hannah's spiritual life was like? And her home life was certainly complicated, right? It was complicated and it was oppressive. Her, the, the, the nation she lived in was, was uh, you know, unrighteous and adulterous and a mess. Her life was a mess. Her country was a mess. Well, her spiritual life uh, was not a mess. Um, they were servants of the Lord. If we take a look at verse 3, uh, now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the two sons of, and the two sons of Eli, who was the priest there, Notice that in verse 3 that um, Elkaniah and the, the family, her family, every year they would go to, to worship in the temple. And here in verse 3, it mentions uh, the priest Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, biblical narrative does this quite a bit as they, they introduce characters very quickly and you know these are their names and this is the priest and then later on in a, in a in the next chapter or two we're going to find out much more about them and notice that Hananiah um, Hannah I should say when when sad she wept and she would not eat 
You know, she ate only after she prayed. Isn't that an interesting nugget of information, right? Let's take a look at verse 7 through 10. You know, and it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would, um, Penaniah would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. You know, that was like a reaction to her oppression, right? Then Elkaniah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean, Hannah would want, wanted a son so bad, you know, and, and, and uh, the other wife was just constantly um, being her rival and, and um, making fun of her and, and uh, oppressing her. And it seems like her husband really didn't have much to um, relieve her oppression, right? I mean, hey, I'm, what about me? You know, I'm, you're so depressed, you know, I'm, am I good enough for you? It, it, um, it doesn't seem like he was, um, it doesn't seem like he was uh, adequately taking care of, of her oppression. Then Hannah arose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Notice she ate and drank in Shiloh. Shiloh was where the, the temple was, where the priest was, where she was praying. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord and said, greatly distressed, um, I'm sorry, um, and she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She was praying because she wanted a child. And I'm assuming she also wanted to pray because of her nation, right? Because the nation was um, adulterous and everywhere she looked, things were um, very bad. And she made a vow and said, Ah, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt, Indeed, look on the affliction of thy maidservant, and remember me, and not forget my maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So she wanted a son so bad that she prayed to the Lord that if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you as a priest. Verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. She was praying. It's like, it's like she was um, uh, voicing her prayer without saying any words. His mouth, her mouth was moving. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. So what kind of a priest do you think she had? You know, I mean, Hannah's the righteous, you know, spring shower in the midst of this adultery everywhere and even her priest is is uh thinking that she doesn't he doesn't even know her right um but where does she go where does she she's still there though you know it's not like she abandoned her her priest because he thought she was drunk then eli said to her how long will you make yourself drunk put away your wine from you but hannah answered and said no my lord i am a woman oppressed in spirit I have drink neither wine nor drunk drink, and, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now. 
out of my great concern and provocation. And, you know, what was she concerned about? I'm sure she was concerned about her nation. I'm sure she was concerned about her family life, her church life, her, you know. Uh, she wanted a child, you know, and, and she wanted to give the child back to the Lord. Then Eli answered in, in verse 17, Go in peace, and may God of Israel grant your petition you have asked of him. Okay. Um, and we went over the, you know, he falsely assumed that she was worthless, right? Quite the opposite. She was not worthless. Uh, and notice what's, what's, what's happening here in verse 18. And she said, um, Let your maidservant find favor in, in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Notice that she, after praying to the Lord, she ate, and she was no longer sad. And I think we need to um, apply that in our own lives, right? When we're oppressed and we're sad, what should we be doing? We should be praying to the Lord and coming to, um, into the Lord's presence. And, and that should also make us, um, you know, no longer oppressed. So... Um, so what can we make uh, as far as conclusions here? You know, Hannah remained faithful to the Lord, right, despite her circumstances. You know, she, uh, her nation, her home life, even her church, you know, um, situations were, you know, oppressive to her. But she continued to um, be rejuvenated by coming into the Lord's presence and, uh, and praying about the situation. You know, and during rough times of oppression and loneliness, she must have been lonely, right? I mean, all of these people around her don't understand her, right? She's, um, her priest doesn't understand her, her husband doesn't understand her, and, um, you know, and, and her family life, and, um, her prayer consisted of her desire to have a son and probably for the nation as a whole, right? She wanted, wanted the nation to be better than it was. She wanted her family life to be better than it was. You know, and the Lord will use the righteous to accomplish his will, right? Because what happened in the book of 1 Samuel, what happens? We're, we're setting up this whole transition from, you know, a cycle of idolatry into uh, King David, who is going to be the great king of the Old Testament that the Lord will promise the um, Davidic covenant to. And Samuel eventually will appoint, you know, first Saul, who fails, and then David. You know, and because of her righteousness, the Lord blessed her enormously, right? And um, if we look at verse 19, you know, then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to the house of Ramah and Elkanah had relations with her, and uh, the Lord remembered her. You know, it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of him of the Lord, um, because I have asked of him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But 
Hannah did not go up, for she, her husband, she didn't go up because she wanted to wean him properly. Verse 23, and Elkaniah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best for you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. Um, verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and the jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord, and he is worshipped. And he worshipped the Lord there. What a gift, right? And eventually, um, Samuel uh, was a, one of the greatest prophets. And, uh, and, here, and here in chapter 2, Hannah has her, her praise of prayer, which, um, which uh, Hannah, um, she wrote this poem in praise which Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, formed her magnificent on this prayer. So it's, uh, uh, maybe I'll take a look at that next time. Uh, but my final slide here is, Hannah and her family uh, lived during a time when the judges of Israel failed their God by neglecting their commission and thereby deprived the nation of any righteous examples whatsoever. Just when it seemed that the nation would cave in on its own rottenness, God intervened. And in response to godly, Hannah's prayers gave young Samuel to her and the nation. You see, the Lord knew that he needed to find somebody, you know, to use so that he could do this transition out of all this idolatry. You know, so who is he going to pick? You know, and... He's, he's going to find someone who is righteous. He's going to find someone who he can use. And, you know, that just challenges us. Are, are, are we um, prepared to be used by God? You know, our, you know, what's going on in our nation today? You know, and what's going on all around us? What's going on in our families? What's going on in our church life? I mean, we need to be used by the Lord, and we need to be prepared to do that. And I think Hannah is a wonderful example of, of how to do that. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for, for, this, for this morning and for giving us this opportunity that we can come to you and learn more about um, character and an example through Hannah. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, being amongst us here today and and uh, teaching us your word. And just thank you for Samuel and for all of his, his work and, 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 and for, for this book in scripture of First and Second Samuel. Thank you, Father, for um, allowing us to learn more about you and learn more about Christ. And, and uh, thank you for this day that we can share uh, with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.